Last Sunday, our focus was on giving God our best by embracing an authentic faith. And we talked about giving God priority in our life. All through the Bible, we are told to give God our very best, whether that's our time, our energy, our possessions, our worship. We talked about taking the next step to grasp the greatness of God. And when we do that, everything in life begins to change. Today we're gonna turn in our Bibles to Malachi chapter two in this very last book of the Old Testament. We're in chapter two, verses one through nine, and I wanna begin with verse one. Listen, you priests, this command is for you. Now some of us might read that and be tempted to check out Uh, because this passage seems like it's not for us. But the word priest here in verse one is not only used to identify a certain group of people in the Old Testament, but it is also used to describe every believer in the New Testament. So we're all priests unto God. So in the Old Testament, priests were descendants of Moses' brother, Aaron, Uh, who was from the tribe of Levi. We're gonna expand on that in just a little bit. But they were called Levites because their job was to serve in the temple, serve in the tabernacle. They were set apart for two primary purposes, and that was to do the sacrifices of animals and to serve God in a variety of other ways. Under the new covenant, Jesus becomes the high priest who offers himself as the final sin sacrifice. And we see this in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Now in Hebrews chapter seven, it goes on to make it clear that because Jesus has become a permanent high priest, the Old Testament priesthood is now obsolete. Verse 27 says that sacrifices are no longer necessary because Jesus has paid the price once and for all with his own life. Unlike those other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day, says the book of Hebrews. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. Now, amazingly, the Bible teaches us that you and I are priests. We are set apart for God, for worship, and for service. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, uh, you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show your, uh, others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Uh, the Apostle John put it this way in Revelation, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. So every one of us have have a purpose. Every one of us who are Christ followers have one purpose, and that is to point people to God. Every one of us are called to be leaders, to lead people upward, and that's the next step to to see ourselves as leaders who are called to lead people to God. That's our job, even today. Unfortunately, it's easy for us to forget about our function and default to seeing our duty as just kind of showing up uh, when when it's convenient, 
sometimes we just feel like uh, maybe we have to, so we show up to worship not because it brings us joy and not because we're really all about serving God. But today I want us to look first at um, how all of this played out in Malachi's day, and there were five fatal flaws that contributed to the spiritual slide of God's people, people who should have known better. And these are noted for us here in chapter two, along with five leadership lessons. Several years ago, a report came out about a college basketball coach and a national contender football coach who lost their jobs both about the same time because of inappropriate behaviors. And in commenting on their exploits, one of the sports columnists wrote perceptively that they had money and they had urges and they had an air of invincibility. A dangerous, he says, combination. Now, each of these men embarrassed themselves by, by exhibiting conduct that was unbecoming of their profession. And as we look back at Malachi chapter 2, we are introduced to not football or basketball coaches, but another group of leaders, religious leaders this time, that exhibited conduct that was unbecoming of their profession, and they did it with an air of flippant invincibility. So the first fatal flaw that we notice in this passage is that they dishonored God's holiness. Look at verse two. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's armies, or I will bring a terrible curse against you. I will curse even the blessings that you receive. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you have not taken my warning to heart. I will punish your descendants and splatter your faces with the manure from your festival sacrifices, and I will throw you on the manure pile. (laughs) Some pretty strong language there, isn't it? Now the first step down this slippery slope of superficial religion is that these leaders totally dishonored the holiness of God. And it always starts there. It was A.W. Tozer who said, "What, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. These priests no longer honored God, which means they didn't consider God worthy of their respect. Now notice in the first part of verse 2 that because they didn't honor God, they didn't bother to listen to him. And the word listen means to hear intelligently with the implication that there's going to be obedience. An active decision of the will. We know from chapter 1 that they didn't honor God because they were, they were giving him garbage for sacrifices. We talked about that last week. And we see again that God refers to himself as the Lord of heaven's armies four times in these nine verses. And it's the strongest possible title that he can use to communicate with them that he is the self-existent one. And he has this host of angelic armies to do his bidding. But they didn't care. They were bored with God. They yawned in the face of Yahweh. And yet because of God's love and grace for them, he offers them a chance to turn it all around. God is giving them a condition. And it's an important truth for us to hear. If they persist in sliding into sin, God is going to punish them. But on the other hand, if they give glory to God and set their hearts to respecting him and honoring his name, he will unleash his blessings on them. 
Now, the text becomes rather graphic at this point, and if they don't grasp God's greatness and honor him, three things are going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen is rebuke. In the second half of verse 2, God says he will send curses upon them. Now, we don't hear uh, much about that word anymore. Uh, We kind of use it as wishing something bad on someone. But a curse was considered to possess an inherent power of doom, of destruction, and, uh, to, and God says, I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to hurl it. I'm going to let it loose on you. And when God says he's going to bring a terrible curse against them, he's saying that sin and rebellion can never be ignored. It can't be just washed away by coming to, to church and doing some religious act. In other words, they couldn't bless themselves out of this mess. And verse 3 begins with some very tough words that are aimed at not only them, but their children and grandchildren. God says, I will punish your descendants. God is telling them that the way they are living today will not only affect their lives, but it's going to affect their children and even their grandchildren. And we probably need to think more about that in our time than we do. Are we living Are we living our lives in light of the legacy that we're going to leave for our children and for our grandchildren and for generations after us? So the first thing that's going to happen is rebuke, but the second thing that's going to happen is rejection. The middle part of verse 3 is among the strongest statements I think you're ever going to find in the Bible. God says, I will punish your descendants. I will splatter your faces with the manure from your festival sacrifices, and I'll throw you on the manure pile. Now, we learned last week that the priests were accepting sick animals. Instead of the best in the flock or the herd, they were accepting diseased animals, sick animals for the sacrifices and trying to offer those to God. And when the priests sacrificed animals, you see, they would lay them on a table, slaughter them, keep the inside separate so they could be thrown away. It was kind of a messy job. And if you're squirming now, even with the thought of that, squeeze the hand of the person next to you because it's about to get a little worse. Um, God is saying that because these priests have not honored his holiness... He's going to give them a manure makeover. That's really what this God is saying here. This is going to be, there's going to be punishment for these self-righteous religious leaders who were just pretending to love God. Then the third thing that's going to happen is the removal. The rebuke leads to rejection, but it ultimately leads to removal. And when the priest cleaned out the inside of the animals, they were supposed to burn them because they were unclean, but they didn't do that part right, and so they became unclean themselves. They became unworthy to serve God. And in the last part of verse 3, God says, because of your failure, I'm going to throw you on the manure pile. Here's what God's saying. Our God is not passive about how we treat him and his holy name. He will not allow anyone to prosper for long who's going to rebel against his will. It goes back to Malachi 1, chapter uh, 1, verse 2. Remember, we talked about this last week. At the beginning of Malachi, there's these, and the end, there's these kind of two bookend comments. And the first one is in verse 2 of chapter 1, when God says, I have always loved you. I have always loved you. That was the overarching uh, comment before all of this other stuff gets dealt with. God reminds them that he loves them unconditionally. That is his 
overarching uh, goal is to love them and include them into his purpose and plan. He loves them too much even to let them keep living like they were. So God's desire is that we always come back to a proper understanding of that love and come back into a relationship with him. But the second fatal flaw is that they departed from the way of God. The first step south is always a disregard or a disrespect of God, um, but then that leads to a departure from doing what we know is right. Drop down to the uh, first part of verse eight. But you priests have left God's paths. Once again, a person stops walking with God and we we must get ourselves back in step with God or our spiritual life will continue just to spiral downward. That's what happens when we leave uh, the presence of God. The third fatal flaw is the destructive cost to other people around us. When we depart from God's way, we usually take some others with us on that path. But you priests have left God's paths. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. You know, since we all influence people who are in our lives, people around us, when we grow cold spiritually, we take others with us. The priests were not walking with God, and because of that, their words made people lose faith. Instead of pointing people upward, instead of pointing people to God, they were tripping people up in their spiritual lives. So God says it strongly in Isaiah 9, 16, for the leaders of the people have misled them. They have led them down the path of destruction. Jesus had no tolerance for people who led others astray. In Matthew 18, when he talked about uh, people who uh, don't treat children right, he says, but if you cause one of these little ones who trust me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and drown in the depths of the sea. The fourth fatal flaw is that they desecrated the covenant that God had made with his people. God had a special rapport with the priests, and this can be traced all the way back to the person of Levi, in the Old Testament, you have corrupted the covenant that I made with the Levites, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. They were allowing religious rituals to rupture their relationship with God. The purpose of the covenant was to produce in them a love that would come from their heart. Not because they were just doing, going through the motions or doing the right things, the right rituals, but to have that internal motivation to love God deeply from their heart, that love between people and God, they had violated it. They had corrupted it. And then the fifth fatal flaw is they were despised by the people. It's ironic that the priests were accepted, uh, accepting substandard sacrifices because they didn't want to get people angry with them. They valued what people thought about them more than they valued what God thought. And because they were in this spiritual free fall, they ended up being rejected by the people as well. Verse 9 says, So I have made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people, for you have not obeyed me, but have shown favoritism in the way you carried out my instructions. Basically what God's saying is the sham's over. The gig's up. It's over. When you don't take seriously your relationship with God, nobody else is going to take it seriously either. People have seen enough of pretend Christians. Sunday religion. Keep you from wanting, to keep them from wanting a real relationship with God. So that's enough bad news for one day. Let me move on to some positive steps that we can take 
uh, to lead others to God, to lead others upward. Here are five leadership lessons. First, we need to respond to God in obedience. Verse 2 says, listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name. God desires for us to listen and then set our hearts on a path of obedience to do what God asks us to do. It's one thing to believe something's true. It's another thing to actually do it. Um, The message translation in James chapter 1, verse 22 in the New Testament says, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but. Letting the word of God in one ear and out the other act on what you hear. And I love the example that scripture uses in an Old Testament story of a a young boy named Samuel. And he's hearing the voice of God in the middle of night on three occasions and he responds in obedience. And you can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 3. But Samuel says, speak Lord, your servant is listening. I wonder how often we say that to God. How often do we sit and really listen to what God has to say to us and say, Lord, speak, because I'm listening. Ask me whatever I need to, uh, tell me whatever I need to do, because I'm listening. You see, the litmus test for listening is whether or not we're living out what we know to be true and what God is asking us to do in life. Second leadership lesson is respect God because he's awesome. In verse 4, God is longing for this covenant with Levi uh, to continue. I want to tell you a little bit of background about Levi. He is the third son of Leah, uh, who was one of the wives of Jacob in the Old Testament. His name literally means to adhere to or to be joined to. And Leah and Jacob had not had a very close relationship. And Leah was hoping that with this birth, her husband might be drawn closer to her. And she says, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. Genesis chapter 29. And this statement reveals, I think, a universal desire of people. Uh, We want our spouse, we want our partner to be locked into us, and sometimes we'll do almost anything to make that happen. But what's interesting is that the making of the covenant with Levi is nowhere formally recorded in Scripture. In fact, there are not many complimentary things said about Levi. Uh, Even his own father had some harsh words for him. So what made the followers of Levi so special? Well, we have some clues from the Old Testament books of Exodus and Numbers, and I'll give you just a short background. The fact that Moses and Aaron were descendants of Levi gave their tribe in Israel uh, some prominence. When Moses came down the mountain after meeting with God, getting the Ten Commandments, he threw the tablets down and broke them uh, that contained the Ten Commandments uh, because the people were doing what? They were worshiping. the golden calf. They had built an idol because he'd been up there a while. They forgot about God. They didn't have the faith to continue. They wanted something visible. They made a golden calf and they began worshiping it. And Moses saw that all, they were running around kind of wild and he stood at the entrance to the camp and he said, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come over here and join me. And it was the Levites the one tribe of Israel who gathered around Moses. And so Moses then told them to go clean house by wiping out those who had worshiped the golden calf. And and then Moses declared a blessing on that particular group of people, the Levites. He said, today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord. You have obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. 
but God was establishing a priesthood. God was establishing people who, a group of people who would revere his name and put him first. And, and later on in the book of Numbers, there is a play on uh, Levi's words, uh, or Levi's name, when direction is given that, given that the tribe of Levi be joined with Aaron in the ministry of the tabernacle. And that's why God is so grieved, even in Malachi's day, at the end of the Old Testament period, when the priests were ignoring and the sacred and awesomeness of God. Matthew chapter, or Malachi chapter two uh, describes this covenantal relationship. It says, the purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace, and that's what I gave them. This required reverence for them, and they greatly revered me, and they stood in awe of my name. This covenant of life and peace um, is a reference to something that was helped along by a man by the name of Phineas. I know I'm getting you lost in maybe some of this history, biblical history, but hang with me. It comes back together in a minute. Um, the people of Israel were indulging in sexual immorality, which involved the worship of the false god, Baal, and God's anger was burning against these people, and so he told Moses to have those who were committing such abominations destroyed, and unbelievably, even after many were wiped out in broad daylight one day, an Israelite named Zimri brought in a Midianite prostitute to his tent and sinned with her. And when Phineas the priest saw it, he jumped up and grabbed a spear and he killed them both. And that stopped a plague against the Israelites. God was moved by what Phineas had done. And because he was zealous for God to do the right things, God made a special covenant with him and with his family. And in that covenant, God gave them and his descendants the permanent right to be the priests, the priesthood. And with, with someone like Phineas in their family tree and knowing that history, it's, it's all the more uh, devastating that the priests in Malachi's day would commit such abominations unto God that they were committing. They had forgotten their heritage. So let me be honest about something this morning. Many of us, I think, uh, are, can fall into the same pattern of playing church, uh, compromising our convictions disobeying God when it suits the situation. Uh, and sometimes we do that right in the face of a holy God. And if we truly respected God, we would be changed forever when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ. Uh, but you see, many of us get bored with God because uh, we don't understand who he really is, because we, uh, we don't always honor his holiness and we lose sight of what's really important in life. Um, let me get quickly to the third leadership lesson, resolve to lead ourselves. After responding to God and acknowledging him as an awesome God, the next step is to learn how to lead ourselves, uh, which means uh, that we need to make sure that our spiritual life uh, is on the right track. Look at the verse, first part of verse six. They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me living good and righteous lives and they turned many from lives of sin. If we wanna lead people to God, if we wanna lead others to God and lead others upward, we must be sure that God's word is central in our own life and concentrate on our walk with God before we can lead others. Um, in Bill Hybel's book called Courageous Leadership, he makes the point that while we are called to lead those over us and next to us and under us, the toughest challenge is always to lead ourselves. And uh, unless we're squared away internally, we have nothing much to offer anyone else. Here's the fourth 
uh, leadership point, repel people from sin. The last part of verse uh, six challenges us to do whatever it takes to turn folks away from their sin. Uh, when we see someone straying from God's way, we may be tempted to turn our backs, we may be tempted to just say nothing, uh, but James 5, 19 and 20 exhorts us not to do that and James says that if we're serious about leading others upward, if we're serious about leading others to God, we have to get, help people get out of their own mud sometimes. And um, is there anyone you can think of in your own life um, that is maybe deliberately uh, disobeying God today? Maybe it's someone in your circle of influence, family, friends, neighbors. Um, do you need to make a visit? Do you need a, to make a phone call? Do you need to write a note? Do you need to sit down with that person and help lead them in a new direction. And then fifth, uh, we need to represent God to others. One of the roles of the priest was to represent God and reveal God's will to the people. And we see this in the first part of verse seven. The words of the priest's lips should, pres uh, uh, should preserve knowledge of God and people should go to him for instruction for the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. Um, the word preserve means to guard against perversion. Uh, to proclaim God's message accurately, you and I must remain in the presence of God. And it goes back to that respecting thing, uh, to reading God's word, to praying, to remaining in worship, to being, uh, do whatever we need to do to remain in the presence of God. Because people should want to hear from us. If our lives are different than the lives of people around us. If Christians, if Christ followers lead a different life, people should be asking questions. Uh, why, why is your life different? I see different things in your life that I don't see in somebody else's. What's different about you? Uh, are we making people thirsty for God? Do people come to us looking for answers? If we're living our faith out loud, people will notice. If, if no one is asking you lately why your life is any different than anybody else's, hmm, maybe it really isn't. So 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 in the New Testament says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. And then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So my question today is, does God have control of your life? Does God have all of you? If not, why not? You may be in a place today where there is uh, maybe guilt or sin or shame, something that has you trapped. Maybe you can't see a way out. Maybe it's just going through the motions of being a Christian, but it's time to get out of the uh, world and into the word of God, do whatever it takes to regain that love that God has for you, to, to sense it again, to see it again, to live it out again. Don't play church with God. He wants your, uh, you back on your feet so that you don't get wiped out by the fatal flaws that affected these people in Malachi's day. He wants to use us to lead others to God. He wants to use us to lead others uh, upward, and that's our next step. Are you willing to let God do that? through you. Uh, let's pray together. God, the very fact that we can talk to you is a miracle of your grace, so thank you for being able to hear the prayers of those who love you and for being able to care for each one of us individually. Thank you for loving us. It's beyond our understanding. 
and your love is so real. So teach us again today about our role as spiritual leaders, about loving uh, God's word, about using our gifts to build others up in the faith and to help others in this journey of life. God, we give you ourselves today. Teach us how to take that next step. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.